Good morning. Welcome to the fourth Centre Circling podcast, uh, the election special uh, with uh, Charlotte Henry. Hello, and David Hirsch. And if we sound a bit different today, David is on his travels, but we were so wanted to talk about the, the fallout from the election that actually uh, we had to record a podcast today. Absolutely. So we saw um, Vince Cable on the TV last week, and Vince Cable was almost very upbeat with bollocks to Brexit. Yes. And we all, we all, thought, we all thought that was a bit, a bit risque, didn't we? Well, it's quite risque for Vince Cable, but uh, I think it looked it worked, didn't it? Didn't it? The Lib, the Lib Dems were clear; they were firm in their position, and they and they finished second. Yep. They won London. They won councils like Barnet and other areas where they hadn't ever won before. Yep. Uh, and they did astoundingly well. Um, but of course, the the only party that uh, did better in the UK was. The equally clear Brexit party. Yeah, Emily Emily Thornbury wasn't happy, was she? Uh, well, no, because the Lib Dems won in Islington, didn't they? <laughs> um, Islington being her seat and Jeremy Corbyn's seat. And Jeremy yes. Corbyn, yes, and Jeremy Corbyn's. But is, um, it, is it right? Is it so, right? In fact, though, that, that the word bollocks is is a kind of very English word. I think so. I'm not sure the Americans, our American listeners and friends, no, are quite. No, I don't think. I don't. It, so ironically, the the kind of reassertion of our internationalism was done using good old ang- Anglo-Saxon, <laughs> not even Anglo-Saxon, but British. <laughs> anyway, very good. But I think it's what what was clear to me is that nuance has sadly rather disappeared from our politics. And I, I don't want to get too high and mighty or pretentious about it, but it, it does feel with the success of the Lib Dems and the Brexit Party that they were rewarded for clarity and for asserting a position very clearly, very firmly, uh, and either saying yay to Brexit or <laughs> bollocks to Brexit. Well, you can put it that way. You can say nuance has been squeezed out, or you can say people just don't believe that there is a compromise to be had, that, that Brexit doesn't allow, there isn't mm. a compromised position. That's what people have said. They've said the attempt to find a compromised position hasn't worked and won't work. And the people who support one position or the other have come out on top. I mean, also, there's a question about how we how we tell the story. Um, a lot of people are saying there's a great result for Brexit. Brexit have won the election, whatever that might mean, I suppose, because they got the most seats. Um, but we can have a discussion about how you add up the votes. If you add up Brexit and UKIP, you get something like 35%. If you add Green and Lib Dems and Change UK and the Nationalists, you get something like 40%. And then everything depends on how you understand the rump Labour and Conservative vote. So you can say Labour and Conservative both have Brexit in their manifestos, therefore you add Labour and Conservative to Brexit and you get a huge majority for Brexit. Or you can say uh, that the the clearly Remain vote beat the clearly Brexit vote, and then Labour and Conservative are both different stories. 
Yeah, I'm slightly concerned about how people are interpreting this as a remain win. I think we have to be a bit careful because I can understand how you compile a bunch of stuff together and the remain remain side seems to win. But I think we also have to be very clear that the Conservatives were campaigning both in the 2017 general election and this specific election on wanting to leave the EU. Um, I think you have to include that in a leave vote. I think there's, I think, you know, you can include UKIP and Brexit the no deal vote, but I think if you're looking at a general leave vote, it is quite clearly uh, uh, you have to include the Conservatives. I I don't think it's that, it's Um, not that clear for two reasons. One is that there will be a number of people who voted Conservative who are not for leaving, who are Remainers. Um, you know, lots of Tories, in fact, over the last, you know, the last 40, 50 years, the vast majority of the Tory party has been for the European Union. So that, so you, you can't just say that all of the Conservative vote was, was a, a Brexit vote. And the other problem, which I think is quite important, is that, of course, the Brexiters say that Theresa May and her Conservative party is a Remain party. The Brexiters say that the withdrawal agreement and the May, the May agreement is not Brexit. And, of course, then we're into a, a proper discussion about that. And I think my position on that is quite clear, is that there's I, – I, I agree with the people who say there's no compromise position. And I think what happens with the withdrawal agreement is that it immediately keeps us forever close to the cliff edge. It, once there's a withdrawal agreement, the first moment there's a scandal about bent bananas or whatever it is, then we're straight back to the cliff edge. And uh, the withdrawal agreement will only increase the fervour of the Brexiters. So, and, and of course, the other way around too. I don't think no deal really exists because the moment there's no deal, then there's a crisis, economic and political crisis, um, and in the end, quite quickly, actually, in that crisis, Britain will have to go to the EU and say, now we need to negotiate. And a lot of the Brexiters are saying that openly. They're saying after no deal, we'll negotiate. And of course, the EU will come back and they'll say, yes, we'd love yes. to negotiate. But you know what the precondition is. The precondition is the withdrawal agreement. So my view is that the withdrawal agreement leads straight back to the no deal cliff edge and the no deal cliff edge isn't even, we can't even drive off it because the moment we try to drive off it, we'll get stuck on a rock and we'll be straight back to the, the withdrawal agreement. You, we're going to be like that final scene in... Um, With the gold in the bus. What's the film? The, the minis. Exactly. What's it called? The great, no, not the, it's not The Great Escape, is it? It's the other one. The, the Italian no, job. The Italian job. Shocking up. The Italian job, one of my favourite films. I can't remember the name, but yes, we we are. This is under. One might argue that the Labour leadership at the moment is a self-preservation <laughs> I, society. I never saw the new we, one. We I never saw. The, that and is it good? I just oh, saw the one good. with Mike. Don't good. blow that you once. Yeah. What you were? Yeah. Only meant to blow the bloody, bloody doors, doors off. off. Um, uh, which I also think probably rather applies to UK and <laughs> because I think that's probably uh, David Cameron was only that's supposed good, to blow actually. the bloody doors off. Uh, but now we yes. seem to have blown up everything. So uh, so but, we've, we've kind of, uh, 
I mean, you can add the conservative vote to whichever column you like on according to whichever proportions you you like no i i think it is legitimate to add that i don't think it's legitimate to add it to the no deal side of the debate but i think it is legitimate to change, put that okay. in the leave side um and then what on earth you do with labor i'm not quite sure because we've seen in the kind of 24 uh, 36 hours or so since the election results came in, we've seen Labour slowly, slowly edging towards backing a second referendum. We've seen John McDonnell, uh, the shadow chancellor, seem to say that on camera a couple of times now. It looked Tom Watson put a lot of pressure on to say, look, we have got to back. Well, a what, what we know, what now. we know is that the people who voted uh, Labour uh, and the people who voted Tories, their main big concern wasn't to say yes or no to Brexit. They had other concerns. Um, I think they probably had embedded party too. loyalty, actually. I think probably there'll be a load of leave Tories, or there'll be some, sorry, leave Tories who could hold their nose and vote for uh, the I'm not sure about party. that. I mean, I think we need to... I think we need to discuss, actually, and really not let it bypass quite what an appalling result this was for the Conservative Party. They have now... This is one of, you know, one of Britain's main parties of government. Now only has four members yeah. of the European Parliament. I don't know. I don't... I mean, that is... I that don't is know that it is. Because I'm looking at the graph and there's a great big blue column on the left there and it's called the Brexit Party. So I have another graph in front of me, which is um, the uh, YouGov poll. <laughs> the YouGov poll, which tries to work out where the votes came from. So, so, so the interesting bit of that poll right. actually is uh, Labour, that it shows that um, no, not really where the, well, where the votes came from, but where they went to. Labour's 2017 general election vote went substantially to the Liberal Democrats and it went substantially to the Green Party. And it went only a little bit, maybe a quarter, judging from the picture, to the Brexit Party. So Labour's, or the Corbynites' key problem, which was that they needed to represent Labour Brexiters, is not really borne out by those figures. Um, the Tories... Uh, the, the... That that's really fascinating, actually, because we saw directly in the aftermath of the election, people like Caroline Flint saying and tweeting, "Look, if we if you think the answer yeah. is to become more of a Remain party, yeah. that's wrong." The figures you're quoting, I th I've seen the figures from YouGov, also from Lord Ashcroft, and they seem pretty clear that I don't know, judging just from the picture, a good three quarters of the Labour vote went either to Labour, to the Greens, or to the Liberal Democrats. And a tiny bit to Change UK. We have to do the obituary for Change UK sometime too, don't we? Uh, may I rest <laughs> in peace. Um, look, uh, we, yeah, yeah. we can do no, that we'll, maybe at a later point. We'll, we'll do a longer discussion of what's happened on Change UK. But I, I think... I think another thing that became abundantly clear 
is that Labour can no longer look two ways. It's going to have to make a decision. Yeah, uh, we will come back to change because I have, you know, huge respect for, for the, those people and and it, it's it, we will have a, have a think about what's happened and, and where we go from here. Yes, um, Labour... Labour Labour cannot continue to bat its eyelids uh, both ways, you know, show a bit of leg to leave and flutter its eyelids. Flutter its eyelids. Well, it did them well for a no, while, didn't it? It no, did no. them really well for a while. Corbyn well, did his populist uh, thing. Well, Corbyn did his populist thing, and he... I, I don't know. If it did them well. I think it basically kept them out of the line of fire for a bit. They the the thing that they did well was let the Tories scrap amongst yep. themselves for a bit, uh, and we know that. It, Amongst other things, the Conservative Party is very, very good at having a row amongst itself about Europe. And Labour, whether through political expediency or a bit of luck, let them get on with it. Now that game, I think that has run out now. Even a couple of weeks ago, the polling was showing that people blame the Tories for the crisis. And Labour, sure, they're the party of government. And, what Labour, and therefore we're were according to the polling, were likely to put Labour into power, and that's still not impossible. No, but I think, and I look, I don't want to over egg also the symbolism of a European election where we expect the ME, the people who win the election to only sit for a few months, and we know that it's not a great turnout, it's a higher turnout than we've previously seen, but it's not a huge turnout. We also know that people do traditionally use things like the European Union elections as a protest. So I don't want to over-egg what we've got here. Yep. But I also don't want to diminish quite what a kicking the main two parties got. Yep. Because they did. And I think you can argue in both cases that they deserved it. Um, yes. Yes. Because the Conservatives clearly for all the joking about strong and stable, have been anything but. Um, and Labour, like I say, I think has really paid the price for trying to look two ways on Brexit. And I think it deserves people to know what it thinks. And Tom Watson, you know, to his credit, people like Tom Watson are very clear what they think. They, But what I don't like, I have to say, and I'd be interested in your, uh, in your take on this, is... I don't like the level of kind of self-interest about this. The parties are now talking about it, what they need to do for themselves. Whereas actually I think they should be talking about what is best for the country. Yes. And I haven't heard that discussion in the last 24 hours. So I've heard both Conservative MPs and Labour MPs talking about the position their party needs to take to best win votes well that's not the best deal with the crisis yes, that we find that, ourselves in that's a really good question but you can broaden that question out so in in fact nigel farage went simply on that question he didn't go for, go on brexit he went on democracy and the argument was we had the referendum but you didn't take any notice and now we have to bring down the political class the elite blah 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 so even brexit didn't go firstly, on their case for leaving the European Union. They've forgotten about it. They're not making the case for leaving the European Union because there isn't a case for leaving the European Union. They're going on the case 
for this is what people think. And Labour and the Tories are doing the same. They're saying, how can we please our people so that they will vote for us? And they portray it as a democracy argument, and you portray it as an argument which doesn't care about the interests of the country. Well, I think the country is, is in quite a clear political crisis, which could also lead to an economic crisis. And the political leaderships need to show some understanding of that. I mean, to be fair, if one wanted to be fair, Theresa May probably did do that. She probably did have the national interest in mind uh, ahead of perhaps her own political... Well, she worked very hard to stay in number 10, didn't she? But she did... I, I always felt whatever criticisms one can make of Theresa May, and there are many, um, I always felt that she did at least have the, the, the a sense of national interest. All right. You I, see- do genu- I do genuinely think that, whereas I don't think what we're seeing from... Uh, the people vying to replace her, who we're going to have to go through in a bit, from the Labour, the top echelons of the Labour Party, and even Tom Watson, who's... I I just don't see those people making a case for this country is in crisis. Yeah. I mean, even, even the Liberal Democrats... Well, so the Liberal Democrats are saying Brexit is bad for the country, therefore we don't want to do it. Yes, to be to be fair to them, they're not saying what is good for the Liberal Democrats. Okay, they found out that being the the Remain Party has worked very well for them politically. Yep. But I, I think even if they hadn't hugely benefited, I think they would have to keep that point of view. Yep. The the SNP and Plaid Cymru might have a argument with you about that, but yes. How, how do you mean? I mean that in Scotland the SNP was the Remain Party, and Indeed, in yes. Wales. In Wales, Plaid Cymru was the Remain Party. And then the Greens have done fantastically well too, and not only in Britain, but all over Europe. And isn't it interesting Isn't it interesting that you and me, little Britishers, are talking about Britain when we should be talking about European election? But we'll come on to that as well. Yeah, um, I, think just, uh, we, I think we should move on to that now because it's a really good point. But the, uh, I, I think, yes, the Plaid and the SNP did in their home patches, make themselves the Remain Party. But also, of course, the Liberal Democrats do stand there um, and did get a chunk of votes there as well, you know, backed up along with the Nationalist parties. Um, the, you know, the, and so I think as a collection, yes, you can't dismiss uh, the Nationalist Party's stance on Remain because they absolutely were very unequivocal about that. But also... And look, let's also talk about Naomi Long in Northern Ireland, the Alliance Party MEP, which is kind of the sister party to the Liberal Democrats. Yep. She picked up a seat she, in the European Parliament, which is an astounding achievement. Uh, we should we should go on and, and look at Europe, but let's first talk about Theresa May. Okay, we're going to do the obituary now, are we? I think so. The, the, we'll do the so obituary. She- the second promised obituary of the day. Um, Theresa May. So we know that over the last few weeks, I've said a few times that I actually quite like Theresa May. But you have a little bit of a soft spot for. I, a little, it's just it's kind of small and it's very ambivalent. Let, let let me say this though: I don't agree with what you just said that she was putting the interests of the country first. There's this fantastic video of Theresa May in the campaign. Uh, the referendum campaign and Theresa May was quite quiet in that campaign but she 
set out the case very, very clearly against Brexit. And she knew, she knows why Brexit is a bad idea. She then made the calculation that she could surf to power on the Brexit vote. And she made the calculation that her justification for doing that was that the Tory party is the natural party of government and the Tory party must lead the country out of the European Union and everybody else would screw it up and she could do it with the least damage. That was that was what she did. She made her own calculation about how she was going to become prime minister and she made a calculation that that it was possible to implement Brexit in a sensible damage limit, limiting way and that was wrong. But given that kind of okay, central... Okay, sorry, I'm going well, to jump on. in and interrupt right. you. Well, wait, wait, wait. Let me just finish the argument. Given that centrally wrong judgment, after in your that, opinion. <laughs> yeah. After that, I think everything she did was really quite smart and really quite admirable. So I, I don't... So the bit I don't agree with you is that that's not acting in the national interest. I think just... So just because you and I don't like Brexit... Um, I don't think she, so. You're saying to act in national interest would have been to come to power and say we're not doing Brexit. Well, no, I think she would have had to say um, I'm against this. She would. I mean, what she could have done, she could have done what she did for a while. She could have said, right, I'm going to go to the European Union and I'm going to negotiate. And then she could have come home and said, look, there is not a Brexit that is going to work for us. And, you know, I'm the Prime Minister, I've done everything I can to implement Brexit, but I'm coming back to tell the people that, that, the, that the referendum cannot be implemented without huge damage and, and, and without ongoing crisis. And if she was honest, that's what she would have said. Well, I, I don't think it comes from a place of dishonesty. And I don't think it comes from a place of not serving in the national interest, actually. I think she genuinely felt that the co- the democratic consequences of not implementing Brexit would have been bad, yep. which I think there's still a legitimate case for. I think, therefore, she tried to limit, do Brexit with as uh, damage, with in a damage-limiting way as possible. That's right. But we um, now know that what she wanted to do and what she tried to do couldn't be done. Politically, yes, because she screwed up a 2017 election. Absolutely. Oh, I don't um, agree with that either. I thought... <laughs> it was so. It wasn't just her mistakes or her lack of charisma or whatever. It was because she misread populism. She misread the threat of populism. She thought that she could ride the tiger. She thought she could feed the crocodile, to mix my metaphors. And she thought that if she gives the Brexiters, the populists, a little bit of what they want, then they'll be happy. And that was wrong. Um. It, it... Yes and no. I I just think deep down, I think she was, yes, she was trying desperately to cling to power and to hold a job that she had wanted almost all her life. But equally, she did want to do whatever she could do as a way of limiting the damage to the country, both democratic, uh, economic, and so forth. It came from a place, I think, of national service, as well. Yeah, I don't disagree I, with I, that. I don't disagree I, with that. I do that. think that. And so I, I think she probably let herself down in a desperate way. She tried to cling to power. Oh, I don't but think, also, I think she might have got it. She, she's, it looked like she might still get away with it until quite recently, I thought. Yeah, she did. It did. But let, And now, of course, she's gone. It was quite a, 
emotional. It was emotional. I mean, I, everybody saw... It was quite painful to watch, actually, at the end. I agree. I mean, we all saw some of the Corbynites kind of railing against her and saying, how could you possibly have any sympathy for somebody who kicked people out of the country over the Windrush scandal or this and that? Or And, and it was a kind of... A kind of missing of the point. Really. I have to say, just on that, I, I thought the way people tried to kind of tar her with Grenfell towels are really quite nasty. Yes. Her response was inadequate. There's so, no so, hang on. That. Tell me the, the, what is the, the argument for that? How, how, how was she inadequate? How was she responsible? I don't quite know. I, I Look, I think her response was inadequate. I think that's fair enough. Look, we know there are still people living... In, who victims of that fire? Who are still living in unacceptable accommodation? Right. We we know that, but also I think it just comes back to this idea that you know she's a Tory, and so the housing was there. I don't yeah. know. She's a Tory. Just... Tories are evil. Tories Ooh. allowed bad, bad building regulations or, or corruption or whatever, exactly. and, and all of that type of thing. And this is on. And them. I just think, and I just think that's. Such a dangerous way to look at it because, yes, her emotional response was inadequate, but, I mean, to pretend that she was anything but horrified by what happened is just yeah. so grotesque. Yeah. And also... And disgusting the, of the left to pretend this, that. This idea that Tories are evil and therefore, in Kensington, they're quite happy to allow, you know, unsafe buildings to be built for the poor and safe buildings to be built for the rich. Yeah, exactly. And do you remember the argument that the the building for the poor had to be made pretty so from the outside so that the rich would be happy to live in Kensington? All of that awful moralist, populist stuff, all of that kind of using of the disaster to, to make pretty poor political points. It was revolting. It was horrible. Um, and so all of that stuff has come back with to, re- to get Theresa May. And now we ha- we see the people lining up. That, oh, it's, there's almost as many people want to be Tory leader as want to be Democratic yeah. presidential Hang candidate. On. Hang on. The, <laughs> I just wanted to say about Grenfell too that I, I, I was happened to be at home listening on the radio the day that the inquiry started. Mm. And... And actually, the inquiry has been very quiet. People haven't been that interested. They were very interested when they could make all sorts of political points, but they haven't been really following the inquiry. The first day of the inquiry was startling and astonishing and was really a, a kind of, I thought, a fantastic demonstration of what the democratic state does in the face of a disaster like that. And the first day, what how they started the inquiry was they went through a list of the people who died and they had their loved ones or their friends or, or whoever it was, tell the inquiry who these people were, mm. how they lived, what they were like. And and I just thought this is how, you know, the democratic state has, has somehow allowed bad regulations or corruption or whatever it was to cause this terrible disaster and now it's going to fix it. And, and I thought that that's what we do, actually. Mm. Um, that reminds me of actually another achievement of Theresa May's when she was the Home Secretary. Right. Uh, uh, and the Hillsborough Inquiry. Ah. She, she was the Home Secretary at that time, wasn't yes. she? And the Hillsborough Inquiry, she was launched. And a hugely powerful moment where she stood in Parliament and read every... She was announced, giving a statement on the inquiry, but she stood in Parliament and read the name 
of every of all ninety six people that died. Yes, uh, the ninety four people that died and the two people that died as a result of their injuries that day. Yes, um, she stood in Parliament and read those names and made sure they were on the parliamentary record forever. It was one of the most powerful moments in Parliament I've ever seen, actually. Yeah, and so when people try to portray her as this Maybot, this uncaring thing, I thought that again is a demonstration of a really powerful moment no, I, so if a woman is prime minister then we judge her according to how emotional she is or how robotic she is or why didn't why didn't she show this emotion earlier and then everything would have been all right but, to be fair people said that about gordon brown as well didn't they fair. yeah there's two other things about about that, that people say about about prime minister may one is is the um the the Windrush stuff and the what mm. I keep forgetting the term. It's such an awful term. What is it to create a, the hostile environment? The hostile environment. Now I think some significant responsibility for that goes on her for sure. She was the Home Secretary. I suspect that this started before the Tories were in power, and I suspect that it wasn't especially her responsibility. But there was, she was responsible, and 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 the awfulness of that. You know, there. I'm not sure. To, I don't ever like to be fair to the Labour Party. Sorry, I do like to be fair to the Labour Party. I don't <laughs> ever like to be generous to the Labour Party. Yeah. But I don't. I think if one is being fair, I don't think there was obviously a lot of immigration posturing under Labour. But I'm not entirely sure that you, they could be held re- responsible or accountable for uh, the the hostile environment. Okay, it fair was, enough. It was Theresa May. I'm fairly sure that came up with that. I take I take some of that point. Um, the other thing that I will remember for her for, which which I find quite difficult to forgive, is when she made that horrendous speech about the people of somewhere and the people of nowhere. Yeah, and the, horrible citizens the, of nowhere. Really horrible speech, which I'm sorry, you know, you can invoke Godwin's law if you like, but, you know, Adolf Hitler made a really similar speech about the cosmopolitans who have no place and who uh, who are citizens of one minute in Paris, one minute in Berlin, one minute in Prague, one, and they are, they are not really authentically of anywhere. And she shouldn't have done that. And she should have understood why that was so awful. And what she was trying to do was to feed the crocodile. What's the, the, mm. What is the, the Winston Churchill cliche about the crocodile is is that's what appeasement is it's feeding the crocodile i don't remember the quote and then you run out of food and all it's got to eat is you and that quote was almost unforgivable yeah no it was a it was a definitely a low moment um but you know yeah she she once she tried to implement brexit she did it with great heart and strength and consistency and an articulateness and I, you know, I don't, I don't lead. Re- resilience, actually. Absolutely. I, I think all that's true. But despite the criticisms which you've, we've made of her, and I think your point particularly really does stand up, um, let's look at the people trying to replace her. Yes. Well. Hmm. So. So the lesson. What's the lesson that the Tory party's no, learned? Let's go- so let's go through. There's ten of them now, David. Goodness me, I don't even know who they are. Can you na- let, can you name them all? We've got <laughs> Boris Johnson, Jeremy Hunt, Michael Gove, Andrew Leadsom, Aston McVeigh, Rory Stewart, um, Dominic Raab. 
Somebody who said that ja- my friend Jamie Bloodworth, actually, who wrote a fantastic book on on poverty wages and the gig economy and all that stuff, he tweeted yeah, yesterday yeah. that Rory is his name Stuart Rory Stewart Rory Stewart yeah is the Ed Miller band of of the Tory party in that people who are really interested in politics really like him, but everybody else just looks at him and thinks he's he's a bit odd. So the the other three standing are Matt Hancock, and over the last 24 hours or so we've had Home Secretary Sajid Javid announce his, declare his candidacy, and then, in quite a surprise actually, Housing Minister Kit Malthouse has thrown his hat into the ring. He was a Deputy Mayor of London. I've not heard of that person he is. Uh, he was the deputy mayor of London. He's a housing minister. Okay. He came up with the Mortal House plan. Ah, he, him. He wanted, he wanted to say Brexit, yes. and now he wants to be prime minister. He wants to be the new generation of le- Tory leader for 2015. So we've got ten of so them. So I've put a cheeky little bet on Dominic Rab. You've gone Dom Rab. Yeah. Well, not. Let me be uh, clear. <laughs> this is not what I want, but this is my prediction. In fact, this is my prediction of horror. You've you've hedged your bet, have you? Um, um, and I, I think you've got. So I think Don Rab could get over the line. I think for me, it's hard to see anyone, anyone but Boris winning. I really, do, I so think, do you remember the the leadership election? You're too young to remember the leadership election between Hesseltine and Ken Clark. Nobody else I definitely don't remember. That. Nobody else could win. This is Hesseltine and Ken Clark after. Uh, uh, Margaret Thatcher and somebody that nobody had ever heard of won, and that was John Major. Yes, yes. Hesseltine was uh, Hes- actually- Hesseltine was good looking. He was articulate. He was strong. He was loved by Tory conference. Ken Clark was a One Nation Tory. He had all sorts of stuff going for him. Um, there you go. Tory leadership elections. Well, look, it's one of the weirdest, most difficult to predict electorates. In the world, the, the Tory party. Uh, but I, I do feel that if Boris Johnson gets on the final two, I think it's hard for anyone to stop him. Isn't it? I think, isn't it a weird election? I, I mean, it is a weird let election. Let me say, I think Tory. the Tory, it's, it's down to the Tory MPs to decide if they are brave enough yep. not to put Boris Johnson on the ballot uh, and if they are prepared to take the backlash that would inevitably come from their members. So the the people say, isn't it terrible that we have a prime minister elected by 100,000 electorate, the member of the Tory party? I don't really buy that. But what I, no, I, don't what I do think is interesting, firstly, I've read, I don't know if it's true, I've read that the average age of that electorate is over 70. That's interesting. And the other interesting thing is that I'm betting you, and there's no way of proving it, I'm betting you that most of them did not vote Tory in the Euro elections. No, I suspect a large chunk of that electorate voted for the Brexit party. Right. I think that's I think that's right. So the people voting um, for the next Tory leader are going to be supporters of the Brexit party. Uh, will have supported the Brexit party probably in these elections. Yes, a large chunk of them will have. Isn't that interesting? I would imagine it is interesting. But I think what is interesting first of all, I think kind of how the initial race has gone. Roy Stewart is doing quite well. Is he? He's well, he's doing well in terms of people seem to like him. He's not doing great in terms of picking up MPs to nominate him. He's very articulate, isn't route. he? He's, he speaks he's very well. articulate. He, this is man was a soldier. He was a governor in Afghanistan. Yeah. He look. He has a lot going on. Um, he's a 
you know, he's a serious figure and he's a serious man. He's the International Development yeah. Secretary. But he's the continuity but, candidate. He's, he's, he says we should do what May did, but we should do it better. There's a bit of that. I think he he's also, he's been brave in the sense that he said, I will not serve under Boris Johnson or anyone. He says he won't serve in a cabinet pushing for no deal. Yeah. Which I think is quite a brave stance to take. And it might, and he, look, there, there's stories going around Westminster that he basically doesn't want to win. Uh, he just wants to explode the no dealers. Right. I mean, I've heard that too. But also what he says is is kind of simple. He says, we take no deal off the table and we take uh, remain off the table. And he says, we lock the MPs in a room and we make them come to an agreement about what, about, well, actually, <laughs> we know what the agreement is because the, the agreement is the withdrawal agreement. It's already sorted. So he's going to put them all in a room. He's going to say, no, no deal, no remain. You're going to vote for this like a teacher. And until you do, nobody's going home. Yep. Uh, yep. That's not it's not going to work, is it? Uh, it hasn't worked so far, but look, he's a pretty gutsy guy and maybe his charm and charisma, <laughs> we'll see it over right. the line. So look, out, out of the won- lot, out of the lot of them, you and me, yeah. you and me will vote for him. But let's not pretend he's going to win. Let's not pretend that he's got any chance of doing anything in this election. Uh, look, it seems pretty unlikely to me. I think, I think you're going to have a kind of big beasts. You're going to have go versus... Johnson versus Rao. I think Sajid Javid is not going to quite do it. I saw Sajid Javid speak at the CST annual dinner, the Community Security Trust, and I was profoundly unimpressed by him. I thought he was very transactional. You know, he came along to a meeting of the Jewish community and he sort of said things that he thought the Jews would like and the Jews did like them. And it was a very kind of transactional politics and I thought mm. there was no vision, there was no passion, there, you know, there was no Sajid Javid there, really. I don't – look, I think Sajid Javid is quite a capable, probably quite a decent person, but I don't quite know what he believes in. Is that fair? Yes, I think it is. He was the first person I saw on the morning after the referendum. He was the first person I saw who did the flip. And, you know, for, for during the whole referendum campaign, he'd been saying Brexit is a really bad idea. I think he was a Remainer, wasn't he? Yes, th- yes. And then suddenly, you know. He was sort of a reluctant Remainer. And then suddenly, two hours after the result came out, he said, oh, yes, we're going to implement Brexit. And I thought, how do you change your whole view of the world so quickly? Mm. So we've got all of that going on. Then you have... Uh, the psychodrama of Boris versus Michael Gove. <laughs> well, I saw Michael. I, I saw a thing that said how many Tory MPs have come out for each. For each. Yeah. I think Michael Gove was at the top so far. Michael Gove's doing very well, and Michael Gove, I think, is a serious contender in this game. I think he could be the figure, the lead figure. Um, the people kind of coalesce around that is not Boris Johnson. The most palatable. But- uh, I don't know if he's palatable to the electorate. Huh. For he's always seen been. I don't. I don't want to get too diverted, but he Michael. There always seems to be a caricature of Michael Gove that's played out in the public that he's just this evil, terrible person. Right. Um, I can't say that's my experience of him, but maybe if I was a school teacher or something else, I'd feel differently. Isn't but, he just too clever for this? He is remarkably clever. 
He is astoundingly polite. Um, He really upset me with his had enough of experts comment. 100%, especially because I'm quite close to one of those specific experts that he was talking about. Right. (laughs) But but also this is a man who, uh, there's a very funny story that Sarah Vine, his wife, has told in a diary uh, column that basically he phoned her in a panic that he couldn't get the car going or he couldn't get out the car or something. Yes. And she came hurtling to find him, sat quite comfortably reading a book in the car, and <laughs> she did a tiny little manoeuvre and she got the car out. <laughs> but, you know, he. so yes, he is super intelligent. The idea that Michael Gove has had enough of experts I think is a little bit bizarre, given how well-read yes. and well-researched he is. I saw a whole debate but, that came out of that comment with Jonathan Portis. Yeah. I mean, anyway, um, do you remember... The he, no- he's... In- also frighteningly polite when you yes. meet him in real life. Do you remember in 1984 at the beginning, there's this guy, Syme, who Winston sees and he just says, Syme is too orthodox and too clever and he will be liquidated. And Gove is a bit like that. I think Gove is right, just that too... that might be right. Yeah. I, I think the interesting one is Dominic Rabb. I think who, so too. Who I can't say particularly impressed me as Brexit Secretary. I think no. both him and David Davis have done that thing of complaining about the deal and saying the deal that we should have had, and you think, well, if only you'd been in a position to do that. Well, they weren't in a position to do that because they weren't. They didn't have any power to negotiate. It was all done by Theresa May and her people. That, that is their argument. I, I think that's being a little bit disingenuous. Okay. I, I mean, that, that, is the, that is this kind of received wisdom that Davis and Rab were squashed by... Uh, Ollie Robbins, the civil servant, by Gavin Barwell, by the, the chief of staff, by Theresa May. Maybe. But I think they were did, they didn't cover themselves in glory in that. And I think pretending that they they had the answer when they were in a position to do the complete the answer yeah. uh, is a little bit disingenuous. But I think he could be a young, energetic, not Boris Johnson figure that people quite like. Yes, I think I think when he, he I think he interviews very well. He looks very rational, very articulate, very cool under pressure. I think there's a certain kind of Brexit enthusiast who would like this rather young, good-looking military type to go in to bat for Britain and and I think um I think that he would appeal to to a wide electorate. And yeah, no, I I can certainly see that happening um and he's he's so articulate that what he says that the complete incoherence of what he says doesn't seem to matter no it's uh it's interesting he's kind of i don't quite find follow the through line of all of his arguments but yes he he says it very clearly and very passionately then you've also got quite punchy look i think esther mcveigh is quite a punchy character um that's probably kind of quite stereotypical and sexist of me to describe her as ah. such, but uh, she is, she, you know, she's been a minister, she lost her seat and came back. She, she's, uh, you know, she's a glamorous TV figure. Like, she's got a bit going on, I think. I don't think she will probably be able to rustle up quite enough support to get over the line. Yeah. I'm, ash- uh, I'm ashamed I- to tell you I don't really know anything about her. She, but uh, she, yeah, she's a uh, she. Uh, but I think she, 
I think she could have a bit of a go at the race. I think, look, I'm going to say something probably deeply controversial and possibly deeply sexist. I cannot imagine that the Conservatives are going to next appoint a woman as their leader. Yeah. I think they wrongly, wrongly feel that actually what happened was the the woman was too weak yes the woman couldn't negotiate and i think there's been i think there's been an element of mis- a large element of misogyny throughout no i think that's Theresa quite, May's quite premiership. right what we need to and, do what we need to do charlotte is to send a man to brussels who will expl- right, who will explain to them our position properly and who won't be fobbed off and who will and then if Barnier says, no, no, you can't have that, then he'll demand to see a supervisor. Yes, exactly, exactly. I think there is a lot of that going on. And, so and think- Dominic Rabb is the least woman candidate there is. <laughs> He's the, the candidate who's mo- the furthest from being female. <laughs> even, even in his very name, Dominic. 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 Yes. <laughs> Big Butch Dominic. Yes, we're going to send him over and it will all be... But so I, I think there is unfortunately a large element of that going on. So I think for Andrea Ledson, for Esther McVeigh, those kind of figures, they're, they're just not going to get over the line. Yeah. I think. Amber Rudd is not standing, is she, yet? No, she says she won't. So she might have been the, the, the most um, plausible sort of... Uh, I don't know one what, what the word is. One nation, decent, the most plausible, decent. Um, I, but I think probably. Look, she's got a wafer thin majority. She's as scarred by Windrush as Theresa May, if not more so. Yes, I, I can see why she didn't want to have a go at that. Yeah. She probably thinks it's more important for her to make sure she's in the cabinet and keeps her voice in the room than takes everyone on, gets wiped out. I'm I'm ashamed that it's taken us an hour to talk about what happened in Europe. We yeah, I mean, so we've got we've done kind of the fallout in Britain, but you were right to point out there was a bit of a green wave, wasn't there? Absolutely, and and we should we haven't really mentioned that the Lib, the Lib Dems did fantastically well, the Green Party did fantastically well in Britain. It, they were quite plausible. Their spokespeople went on and said, we're already in the parliament. We're already linked up with green parties across the continent. And if you want to vote Remain, vote for us. And there was the whole run up uh, to the election, the Greta effect. Um, and people are people are really, really concerned about, you know, green the greenhouse effect and global warming and things like that. And, and more and more people are looking at the world and saying, Nobody is proposing a prob a, a solution to this problem. Yeah, no, I, I think that I I I would count myself one of those people that is deeply concerned about environmental issues. In like, I think we have a serious problem, and to pretend otherwise is deeply, deeply disingenuous. Um, I'm also one of those people that would never vote green. Yeah. Um, for a well, whole I, host of reasons. Yeah. So having having been really nice about the Greens and having absolutely agreed that there is a serious problem, of course the difficulty is about what is the solution. 
and, and yeah. it, that it, it kind of blows your mind once you start thinking about what the solution is. And the other problem for the Greens, of course, is that um, the Greens have been really attractive to the the left Labour people who didn't want to vote for Corbyn because yes, of Brexit, yes. they went to I the Greens. I think that's right in the UK. I think there is a, a what, across Europe, as I understand it, and I suspect you'll know more about this than I, but across Europe, there is a tradition of the Green parties being the kind of quite a big chunk left party, whereas in Britain, that isn't quite the case. It's <coughs> been a much more minority party. Yes. and but I so, think, the, but, so I think in Britain, you're absolutely right that left the left of the labor the remain left of labor who couldn't vote for the dems cause coalition yeah for goodness sake um who couldn't vote yeah. for corbyn cause brexit um did go to the greens yes. i suspect if you you know polling would show that yeah so the problem i mean there are the huge problems with the greens but but the problem is what are you going to do about it what are you going to do about global warming and and Many of the solutions that are offered in, within green politics are just as much crank solutions as those offered by the Corbynites. The, the Green Party, especially in Britain, has a history of, of really, uh, there's no other word than crank politics. But it's interesting. People are worried about the, the issues and they say, yeah, I want to vote for good green policies, so they vote green. And there's a kind of mismatch between what they want when they vote, which is for these issues to be taken seriously, and the people that they're voting for and what they actually want. Yes. Uh, I want to talk about one... I know it's back in the UK, but I do want to talk about one green candidate just quickly um, before we wrap up. And that is Majid Majid, the former Lord Mayor of Sheffield... Yes. A councillor, a green councillor up in Sheffield. Yes. Uh, and he became an MEP. And it's an amazing story. This is a Somali immigrant uh, who became a British activist, a politician, uh, became, uh, he was the youngest and first ever Green Party councillor to become Lord Mayor of Sheffield. He, I think possibly any Lord Mayor, frankly, and uh, he he is now an MEP. He was, right. He, he's two years younger than me, for goodness sake. Uh, yep. he's born, he was born in Somalia. And this is a guy, he used to be, I've seen pictures of him because I have friends up in Sheffield. And he'd sit uh, as Lord Mayor in Sheffield, right. uh, wearing very cool T-shirts with funny slogans right. on. And he's a serious all, man? He's a, he appears to be a very serious, uh, you know, Serious man who has used being young and engaging. Yeah. Uh, I, d- I doubt I would agree with much of his politics, but I think it's an amazing story that's worth looking into. Yeah. Look, before we yeah, go... And also he banned, I think he banned Donald Trump from Sheffield. So Did he? <laughs> um, I'm sure Donald Trump was very upset about that. <laughs> so having been... Having... No, look, if anyone, people in, in Sheffield can write to David, don't write to me. So I was a student in Sheffield. I spent quite a long time in Sheffield and actually quite like the place. Um, let, Don't let's... try and backtrack now. Don't try and backtrack now. Um, it's well, like I, David it, Hirsch on Twitter. Yeah, you're, you're, you're going to force me to tell my Sheffield stories now. Um, but let's not go there. Let's go to Change UK. Look. May they rest in peace. So I'm, you know, I'm one of the people who left the Labour Party and I left the Labour Party the day after Luciana Berger and Chukwu Munia left it 
I left mm -hmm. the I left the day that Joan Ryan left it. These are people I had huge respect for. Um, the reason I left the Labour Party on that day in particular was because I my instinct was to say I'm going to sit and wait for a critical mass. I'm going to sit and wait for for this new party to become something that we can join and that we can put our hopes in. And and I thought on that day I thought that would be wrong because you know I need to put my very small um, weight behind. Um, <laughs> yeah, all right. Behind. Um, I didn't even say anything. Yeah, <laughs> political <laughs> weight behind uh, this movement, and to hope it gets a critical mass. I also, and I think I don't remember which specific day was it. The first day that Anna Sowbury uh, and, mm. and Heidi Allen and um, who was the other Tory uh, that left at the same time. So I have huge respect for these people. They were willing to break from... Sarah Williston, Dr Sarah Williston. Right. They were willing to break from their populist parties. They were willing to say, we need to do something else. Uh, and I have huge respect for them. And look, they made mistakes, right? But, but who is the they that made mistakes? And I don't think... Everybody's sitting around going, if only they had done this and that. But So Nigel Farage got it together to register a Brexit party. And they did it before the deadline. None of us did. I didn't. You no, didn't. Charlotte, you, Charlotte, you, you didn't. None of us did. No, I didn't. You have said for a long time um, they should have come together and had the Remain party. Yeah. And put Remain on the ballot. Yeah, paper. I think I think that's true. Uh, one can argue I, I think that... I've we've discussed this before. Well, I feel the messaging and the digital outreach and the way Change UK the independent group, whatever they're called today, yep. portrayed themselves was rubbish. I agree with it. I I really wanted to believe in it. Yeah. But look, I we agree. are where we are. Here, my question for you, as someone a bit more intimately, into, uh, intimately involved in it, who uh, knows the people better than I, yep. what happens next? Well, look, I agree with you that they didn't do things right. They made a few mistakes, starting with the, you know, the, the funny twinge, tinge quote, uh, which uh, oh God, I'd forgotten that. that yeah, was horrible, and so so they did everything wrong. But as I say, I don't think there is a they who did it wrong. I think the problem is that that party doesn't really exist. So my position is this: we need in this country to start building a movement which can oppose the rise of populist and totalitarian politics. We need to start building a movement which can defend democracy in this country, which has the intellectual and the the, the smarts and the political confidence to know how to defend the democratic state, democratic culture, the constitution, uh, the idea of internationalism, the idea of the market, the idea of free trade, the idea of international cooperation, uh, we need, we need a movement that can change the weather politically and that can change the weather intellectually. And, of course, it was madness to think that Chucker and Luciana could build such a movement in a week. They couldn't. But we, if we're going to survive the, the, the threat, and I think there's significant threats from the populist right and the populist left, if we're going to survive those threats, we're going to have to build a movement. And... CHUK okay, is part of that movement. The Lib Dems, for sure, <laughs> you know, hopefully are part of that movement. But, but People my, from the Tory party, the Labour party. No, I'm going to push you on this. I'm going to go into full inter journalist interview mode here. 
you didn't really answer my question. My question is, are Change UK capable of doing it? What is going to happen next? Yes, ideally, we will have this centrist movement. But are Change UK capable of delivering that? Well, I don't think any of us are capable of delivering that at the moment. I think what we need is something which doesn't exist. And I think Change UK and the Lib Dems and, you know, Democratic people in the Labour Party and the Tory Party will be part of building what we need. And if we can't, we're in big trouble. So, no, I'm not going to give you – I'm not a sort of CHUK nationalist. By the way, the, probably the very worst thing was the bloody name. You can't have a party yeah. called Cuck. You can't have it. Nobody no. will vote for that. No. Um, okay. Well, on that positive note, yes, we're going to wrap up for the week. We are. We've, we've covered a lot of ground. Um, you got, we'd let David enjoy the rest of his holiday. You got anything so, planned for this week, Charlotte? No, it's a quiet you, one. You've not got a trip plans? See you in Madrid, people. This is the 30th anniversary of 1989, you know that. No one cares anymore. <laughs> Come on, we're going to Madrid, but If you want some tips on how to beat Liverpool away, then... Look, enjoy your trip to Baku. Um, <laughs> yeah, if only. Um... All right, I'm off to Madrid. I'm at Charlotte A. Henry on Twitter. Follow me there for... The build, no, I was going to say, for the build-up to the Champions League final. <laughs> I'm going to regret this next show when we've lost, aren't I? Um, I and, you're going to, and you've won a trophy and we've lost, and I'm going to get it from you next week. I do hope so. Um, this is Who are the, you? Where can people find you? <laughs> this is the Centre Circling podcast. Uh, it's going out weekly with uh, yes. Charlotte Henry and David Hirsch. You can find me on Facebook or Twitter. Just put my name into the, into the machine and you'll find me. And uh, thanks very much for listening.